what's being given is that these are some basic principles for those people to judge by. You, we would think sometimes in our being naive, we would think, well, any civilization knows how to live together because that's what civilization is. We just, we know how to live together. But the Bible teaches us something different. The Bible teaches that we are sinful and it is our nature to be sinful and that sinfulness teaches us or, or that sinfulness doesn't teach us, but it leads us to be selfish. And to be selfish means that I put myself above you, I put myself above my family, I put myself above society, I'm selfish. Uh, and so we need some governing principles. They don't come naturally to us. Uh, think about if you had children, when you begin to, those children begin to crawl, um, they, they wanted to do what they pleased. And it, and it got worse from there. And so it was true with me, true with my children, true, true with you and your children. And that's our nature. We have, a, we have a sinful, selfish nature. And so God gives these principles for this society to live by. They, they had the Ten Commandments morally that they had learned, okay, this is how you relate to God. This is how you relate to, to the world morally. And now he's saying, this is how you're going to live together in a society. This is how you're going to deal with with each each other, I want to. I'm going to start with the end of the lesson, and I'm going to read you a quote I put on the last page uh, that you'll get uh, this week if you're on the email list. It's, it's by a man named David Paulson, and he wrote this. Well, before I read it, let me remind you of the setting. They had they had gone to the mountain, and and God had made his presence known with thunder and lightning. You're, you remember, okay, and thunder and lightning, and he's speaking to Moses, and I think the people, this, this is what I think. I think the people are hearing his voice, but he's not speaking to them directly. They're aware of his presence. Uh, we read in Scripture that they were frightened, and uh, they were saying, you know, that um, they'll do whatever uh, Moses says God said to do. They're, they're, so they're frightened, they're hearing it. So God's presence is there. And now David Paulson writes this, God makes it clear in all the details of life that all the details of life are related to a covenant with his glory. They were aware of the glory of God. They were aware of the majesty of God. Here's what Paulson said. There is a mountaintop and a valley. Okay, God's in the mountaintop, we're in the valley. Life is mountaintops and valleys. So we're, we're not there, we're not on the mountaintop, we're, we're in the valley. I'm explaining what he's writing. He said, you can see the sapphire pavement of God's glory, but you have to work it all out with your neighbor and your animals and your relationships and property, etc. The glory of God is somehow related to all that is in your life, it is what is called in the New Testament, working out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you, that's Philippians 2.12, for these two facts uh, emerge. Number one, God is a God of justice. And that's what we're going to see in, in these uh, rules that he gives. Number two, uh, God is a God of justice. He is absolutely fair to everyone. Number two, God is a God of mercy. He knows that we're sinners and he cannot keep the law without failing. So he provides an altar and burnt offerings and sacrifices. And through these, there is forgiveness 
and it foreshadows the cross of Christ without which no one would be saved. So keep that in mind, and we're going to briefly look at these regulations. Another thing I want you to remember, Israel is a theocracy. They're governed by God. You and I are not. We're governed by, uh, we live in a republic, not a democracy, but in a republic. And we're governed by those we elect. And so um, we need to remember they're a theocracy. Every nation needs to establish some laws. Every nation, whether whether they're a a dictatorship or a theocracy or uh, a republic, they need to establish some laws for the people. They don't have to be exactly these, but most most nations' laws are based upon these principles, uh, even if it's a dictatorship. So now, with all that introduction, let's look at the very first one. Uh, Masters and servants, chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. He goes on and talks about if he comes by himself, uh, he can go out by himself. But if he he comes by himself, but he marries a woman who's already in slavery and has children by her, he can't take them. They still belong to the master. Okay, when he mentions six years, there's a lot I could say here. And uh, let me make it very plain. Or, Or let me complicate it a little bit. When Moses is writing, when Moses is actually writing this, Moses, Moses wrote the first five books. He, he wrote the Pentateuch. So you go all the way into Deuteronomy, go through Numbers and Deuteronomy. So Moses is writing this at the end of his life. When, when you go through those two books, you're getting more detail about what's here right now. Okay. <clears throat> so, but, so Moses has already given them an outline, but he's going to fill in the details later. But he already knows it in his mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm suffering from what's common in Midland, which is sinus drainage, and it's making my it give, giving me problems this morning. So, what what he's saying is that there is a, in the nation of Israel a jubilee year, and slavery is common in the in the world in this period of time. And it's a stain upon our nation as well and many other nations. But this is not the same thing. What God is doing, he's saying to the nation of Israel, you're not going to practice slavery. So what would happen to the nation of Israel? What was allowed? Let's just say if I got in debt to Jimmy, I, I, could, I could indenture myself to Jimmy to work off my debt but in the Jubilee year, which is the seventh year, he has to set me free. So I, can only, I would only be indentured to him for six years. Um, and so what happens is that in the nation of Israel, there was a limit. You couldn't perpetually own a person. Now, I'm sorry, ladies, you could a woman, but you couldn't, you couldn't a man. And you couldn't perpetually own them. But in this, in, in this chapter, God provides for a female servant as well. We could use the word servant. My Bible uses the, King, the New King James uses the word servant. Yours may use the word slave, but it's basically interchangeable meaning. But no one cared for 
the rights of slaves, but God did. And so it's very interesting, and the very first laws he gives, and all the, all the laws of civil society that he's going to give, he deals first of all with, slave, with slaves. Here's how you treat a, a slave. Um, the Bible doesn't endorse slavery. It, it, it really regulates and limits it. And you come into the New Testament, and Paul is writing, during the time of the Roman Empire, slavery was very prevalent. There's like 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And, uh, <clears throat> and it, it very, it's very limited. Paul, Paul's writing teaches that we're to treat a slave like we would treat ourselves. And you're, you're to... You're to have compassion. You say, well, why did the Bible just say slavery is wrong and it's over and it's done with? Because there would have been a worldwide uprising that would have destroyed civil society. And so it was destroyed by love. I'm in deep water right here, but I don't know how much we're all, uh, most of us came through the 60s and if you were familiar with Martin Luther King and some of the things that he, he proposed, <clears throat> my when, when I was growing up, when those things were happening, I didn't care because it didn't affect me. I'm just being very honest with you. I didn't care. It didn't affect me. I didn't particularly watch the news. You know, you learn, you learn this by osmosis. You just learn it because it's in the world. You learn about it. But as, I, as I've gotten older and as I have been a Christian and studied, I've recognized how important his work was in our nation. And uh, now you may not agree with me, and I don't, it doesn't really matter. This is not the issue. Where where did I get here? How did I get here? But but slavery is such an issue, it has been, and uh, and it's still still a drag in our society because of recrimination and looking at the past and Easy for us to say, well, I don't own any slaves, never have, my family didn't, and so it doesn't affect me. But if you know people who came from that background and came from those families, it, 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 it does have an effect. We need to be very honest, we need to be very humble. It does have an effect. And, and, and we should not be ashamed, but we should be aware. And, and here, when, when the Bible speaks about this, and, and speaks about it, and it goes on, and he speaks about a female slave and her rights. We should have the idea that God's concerned about this. God's concerned about this. He wants it to change. Uh, and in the nation of Israel, he he gave the, the the law about how you're to treat even your slaves before he dealt with other relationships, and how that they have some rights and privileges and. They're, they're a person. And I, I, I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to read these three chapters on your own and, and get some, uh, a little more in depth, because we don't have time to, to deal with all of it. We, we could uh, spend a lot of time on it. <clears throat> so, uh, here's what a man named Chadwick wrote. It is significant that the first words of this section of law in the book of Exodus shows that God wanted Israel to respect the rights and dignity of servants. The first words of God from Sinai had declared that he was Jehovah who brought them out of slavery. And in this remarkable code, the law he gives, the first person who writes he deals with is the slave. Okay, second one is personal injury. Go to verse 12. 
He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. And later on in the nation of Israel, when they go into the land, there are going to be cities of refuge. Now Moses already knows that. And now he's writing it. God said, I'm going to appoint for you a place for him to flee. Uh, And then if if it's not premeditated murder. So here's the difference between murder, which is intentional, and manslaughter, which is unintentional. Go back to the text. Verse, uh, Verse 14. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. What they'd do in the nation of Israel is they'd go with them in the outer court and they'd grab a hold of the run of the prongs that came up from the altar and say, this is my sanctuary, you can't, you, know, you can't kill me in God's sanctuary. And God said, if he's guilty of premeditated murder, you take him from there and he's to die. Uh, I believe in capital punishment. I believe the Bible teaches it. Uh, not, much of our, not much of our world does today. Not much of the <clears throat> what we call the first world, the civilized world, today believes in capital punishment. But <clears throat> again, I apologize for my voice. <clears throat> um, I, I want to I read this. <clears throat> this is by, this, this, this is from Numbers 35. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death but he shall surely be put to death, so you shall not pollute the land where you are, for the blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, and in the midst of which I dwell, for I am the Lord God among the children of Israel. Now let me go back to what I read that Paulson said at the beginning. Here's the glory of God, and here we are in the valley. Here's the mountaintop, here's the valley, and we, everything we do in the valley is associated with the glory of God. Every relationship I have either reflects the glory of God or not. And every, every statue, every law, every... Um, thing that he gives to govern our relationships. And we live in this area to reflect the glory of God. And you can't divorce it. You can't just say that I'm going to, I, I believe in God and I believe in the sovereignty and the majesty and the holiness of God, but I don't believe in capital punishment. Or I don't believe uh, eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. And that was a limitation, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm off my notes anyway, so I'm, I'm not going to go. But see, that's a limitation. It wasn't saying that you have to do that. It was saying you can't go beyond that. So what I'm saying to you is that you, we live in the real world. I'm flesh and blood. You're flesh and blood. Our laws are written down. But it goes beyond that. What God just said here, he said that if a murderer goes free and is not put to death, it pollutes the land. Now, he's not literally talking about the piece of ground. He's talking about the nation. It, it pollutes the nation. And, and when we watch the news today, we know our nation is polluted. 
And I'm, I'm not being a Democrat or a Republican. I'm not being, any, I'm just being biblical. We're, we're living in a polluted land. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad I live in Midland. And Midland's not as safe as it used to be. And it's not as secure as it used to be. Not as godly as it used to be. But it's sure a lot better than other places. And so, see, this is what the Bible says. It, it's just, it's a pollution of the land. If a murder is unintentional, uh, God's going to establish these cities of refuge. People would flee there. They would be scattered throughout Israel. People would flee there. And then they would, they would set before the judges. So the, the leaders of those cities would adjudicate their case. And if they found them to be guilty of premeditated murder, they had turned them over to the city where it happened, and they would be put to death. If they found them uh, not guilty of premeditated murder, they could dwell in that city for a certain period of time till the Jubilee year came, and then they could go free once again to wherever they wanted to go. So God's establishing this order that the land is not polluted. Um, And then he deals with physical injuries. And again, we're just having to touch on some of this. Look at verse 15. He who strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's pretty severe, isn't it? Verse 17 says this. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. So you can't live in a civil society if you don't have respect for your parents. Go back to the moral law. You're to honor your father and your mother Okay, and then the Bible teaches in the New Testament that it might be well with you. And so you're to honor your father and your mother, and he gives some, he gives some meat to that, <clears throat> to, to that commandment here. Um, there's no distinction between classes of people in this. Everyone's responsible for their actions against everyone else. Um, look in verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> If men contend with each other, one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die, but is confined to his bed. If he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall, he shall only pay for the loss of his time, and he shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. <clears throat> we still do that today. Um, if you... If, 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 if I'm working for you and I'm damaged by some fault of yours, you have to pay for my time. You have to pay for my medical bill. So we, we recognize this. We still do this today, uh, which is, seems to me to be reasonable. Then look at verse 22. Unborn children are protected. Verse 22, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, Yet no harm follows. He shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. You know, what's interesting here, it doesn't go into great detail, but a woman who's pregnant is with a child. It's a child. It's not a fetus. It's a child. And the child's life is worthy of being protected. This is what God lays down. Um, it's very, very clear. If you're, if you're going to live in the glory of God, 
you got to understand the, the right of human life. You've got to understand the right of an unborn child. And so there's no... See, to me, <clears throat> we live in a world that's gray. The Bible's not really gray. The, the Bible's black and white in the issues. It's either true or it's not true. And this happens to be true. The unborn child is a child. It, it's a human being and it has rights and it's not to be damaged. In, in, in any way. And let me go beyond that. And if it is, it can be forgiven if it's repented of. It's not the unforgivable sin to have an abortion. But it is a sin. Now we go to, now we go to slaves, verse 26 and verse 27. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. But if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Um, and then verse 28. If an ox gores a man, I don't know if I gave you this. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned. His flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. Okay. I... I I don't know if I gave you those notes or not. Are those on the screen? Okay. Let me read, let me read, let me read the verse. But the ox tended to, thre- to thrust with its horns in time past, and it has been made known to its owner, and has not kept it confined, so that it's killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If your pit bull, bulldog, if your pit bull, bulldog is mean, and it gets out and, and ravages one of the children, you ought to be put to death. So what I, I think that's how I read that. If you're a dog lover, you're probably saying, my pit bull wouldn't ever hurt a flea. My pit bull wouldn't hurt anybody. So your chihuahua might, but... <clears throat> <clears throat> I do meals on wheels as a volunteer, and some of you do as well. And so, uh, But I go to one little lady's house, and she... She has two chihuahuas, an old one and a young one, and I'm afraid of them. <laughs> They're mean. And you think, well, they, you know, and it says on the notes that they will not bite, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> and it takes me longer to deliver her meal than anybody else's because I'm not, she ties them up outside by the door, and it's a good protection, I guess, by the way, because I'm not going to go, I won't even go up the door. When she finally hears their barking, she comes to the door, and, and, I, and so if she doesn't come to the door, I'm not going to go up there and knock. She's not getting a meal that day. So, <laughs> so if your ox or your automobile causes an injury to someone, you're liable. Uh, if your machinery today causes an, an injury to someone, you're liable. If your dog causes an injury to someone today, you're, you're liable. And there's personal property rights. There are people in our world today who doesn't believe in personal property. And they, they think that what you own should belong to the community. And it should belong primarily to them that they could use it. And again, I'm not speaking about, I'm just talking about reality today. We live in a crazy, crazy world to, today. But personal property rights, verse... Um, Chapter 22, down through verse 15. And I'm not going to read these verses, but I'm just going to summarize it. This section teaches 
that it's a violation of private property right that isn't a crime against the state, but it's a, it's a crime against the individual owner of, of the property. And it teaches restitution. Restitution means that if I, if I kill your sheep, I owe you a sheep. I owe you the value of that sheep. Um, if I, uh, we've already seen a little bit of it. If I, if, uh, you know, if I, if I damage you and you miss work and uh, I owe you for that time lost. We've already read that. But it's restitution. Is that I don't have to be punished. I just need to make restitution. Uh, you remember Zacchaeus. When Jesus came and Zacchaeus <clears throat> became a believer in Jesus, he made restitution. And the law said, you know, if you've taken something unlawfully, you're paid back four or five times. And so restitution would go... There's a scale, and it's going to be scaled out, maybe one for one, or maybe two for one, or four for one, depending on what your motive was and how it's adjudicated. And so there's to be restitution and personal property rights. <clears throat> uh, it was increased, the restitution increased according, accordingly to the intention. And again, that's adjudicated by the judges of the cities. And then there's sexual and civil moral regulations. We're going to read these. Chapter 22, verse uh, 16. We might read a, a couple of them. Chapter 22, verse 16. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he should surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. So if he seduces a young lady who's not married or not, then he's to marry her. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. Verse 18, you should not permit a sorcerer to live. So it's really interesting. You kind of throw this in here. Uh, verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Number 20, who, uh, verse 20, who sacrificed to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. You think, now, why would he put that in there? Because... They came from a society that had just been 400 years in a society that they had fertility gods, they had crop gods, they had sun gods, rain gods, uh, frogs, the flies, everything had a, every part of life had a god. And we began to be, if you live in that society, you begin to trust it. You begin to trust it. <clears throat> I, don't know, I don't know exactly how, I don't, I don't have any examples in the notes, but I don't know exactly how, but here, here's, here's what we would do. I would say, okay, Lord, I'm kind of in a bind financially, and so I need some help. And so, Lord, I'm praying that when I go over to Kent Quick and I buy a lottery ticket, that you would make it a winner. Okay, so I'm trusting in you. You're my God. I'm trusting in you, so I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket, and you make it a winner. I'm not giving you advice, okay? So. <clears throat> Because the house always wins, okay? The house always wins. If you're a gambler, the house always wins. I, I know that by, not by experience, but bailing Donna out. <laughs> so, you, you understand, that's tempting God. You know, that's looking to the God of, uh, of, of faith. And, and he just saying, God's saying, I am your sovereign God. I, I, I have provided for you. I delivered you. And you're not to do that. And whoever does that, put them to death. Why? Because it's going to pollute the society. 
Now, that's a little strange. But remember, this is theocracy. God ruled. And he ruled directly these people through Moses and the leadership of Israel. And he ruled directly. And so it's a little different than where we are today. Um, So there are various sins here. Seduction, sorcery, sex with an animal, worship of false god, taking advantage of foreigners, widows, orphans, or the poor, blasphemy, offerings to God, and offerings of the firstborn. Okay, all these things are covered in this paragraph, verse 16 through verse 31. But here, verse 21 gives us the principle. So here's the principle, chapter 22, verse 21. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And the other principle, uh, down to verse 31, and you shall be holy men to me, you shall not eat men meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall not throw it to the dogs. So here, here's the principle. You were strangers in the land. Don't treat strangers like they were of no value. You were strangers in the land. I redeemed you. You belong to me. And then he says in verse 31, You shall be holy people to me. Holy people means set aside. Holiness is not that you're without sin or without sinful tendencies. That's not what holy means. Holy means you're set aside. Holy men to me. Now, what they were set aside to follow God. And God's saying, I, I want you to do it. Here, here he is in the mountain. Here we are in the valley. And it's all related. Now, how I live my life in relationship to you and my family and my coworkers or how I live my relationship to you and the church. Is, is related to the glory of God. And if I'm not doing it, I'm missing it, okay? If I'm not doing it, I'm missing the glory of God in my life. I'm not giving honor to Him if I'm not doing it to you. And so it's, all these things are related. He begins to delineate. He, he's given them some guidelines. <clears throat> what people do is they take these guidelines and they, and they make them absolute laws. Uh, okay, the Jewish people took those, I don't know what Daryl and Robert covered in the Ten Commandments, but the Jews went from there and they turned those Ten Commandments into 660-something prohibitions. So here's things you could not do. I mean, so they said, okay, we have to, we have to define it. Instead of it being an attitude of respect toward God and respect toward your neighbor, which is how Jesus summarized the law, they said, we're going to delineate it. And so if I, if, if, if I keep these minute things about the law, and like on a Sabbath day, if I don't walk a certain journey, I can hate you if I want to because it's not li- listed there. I can treat you with disrespect if I want to. I can, I, I can lend you money at interest rate, and, which he said in Israel you're not to do, I can do all those things if I want to because I'm keeping these structured things so it's not an attitude of spirit, it's the letter of the law. Are you with me? Am I making that clear? And when the Bible teaches us, you know, you be holy, be holy men to me. Uh, It's our attitude. God's not constantly God's not so concerned about whether I keep the speed limit or not. Uh, I I think, you know, our our government is, but God's not concerned about that. 
He's concerned about my intentionality. He's concerned about my response to you and my interaction with you and with our world and with him. I want to be a holy man to God. If I am, I'm basically going to keep the speed limit. Now, I may be not paying attention and I may go over, but it, but it means that I'm not going to intentionally be a speed demon. Okay, whatever a demon, whatever a speed demon is. Turn the phrase there. <clears throat> there's, there's other examples too. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. Now, I'm not going to pay a nickel more than I have to, but I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to cheat you or, or anybody else. Uh, so because, why? Because I belong to God. I want to be a holy person to God. I want to honor God with my life. So we, um, we, have this, we have this principle that God's been gracious to us. We should be gracious people. And then chapter 23 begins with personal integrity in the, in the court system. Okay, the court system was this. Okay, this adjudication by the city leaders, whoever's authority you were under. Uh, let's just read a, a couple of them. Beginning chapter twenty-three, verse one: You shall not circ- you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You shall not testify to dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Or you get the idea of this? You shall not, verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So what he's saying is that you're to have an absolutely clear-minded view of justice. Every person's equal. It doesn't matter if they're poor or they're rich. Now, see, we're conditioned uh, by our society, we're conditioned to favor the wealthy because they dress different, they live in different houses, they have more influence, and, and we're, we are influenced by that and our judgment. It's a big issue in our world today. You see it a lot when you're dealing with political issues is you, you hear a lot of condemnation that poor people are treated with less justice than wealthy people. And you know what? I think it's true. I think it's borne out by the evidence. Now, wealthy people can hire better lawyers, <clears throat> Uh, poor people can be assigned in our in our side. They'll be assigned a lawyer by the state, but he's going to get he or she the lawyer by the that's assigned by the state. And I, I I just have a little bit idea they're going to get less money than if you're paying a wealthy lawyer. A wealthy person's paying a high priced lawyer, and they're going to care more. So, I, you know, and here's what he's saying: you you can't do that. You can't if you're part of a jury. You cannot do that. You cannot be influenced by how people look, by where they live, by what power they have to, to change your life or to reward you. Or, or you, you cannot do that. You have to be absolutely fair. And I think that's good. What I think doesn't matter, but that's biblical advice. That's what God is saying here. Personal integrity in the court. Um, Bribes come in a lot of different ways. I, I put this in the notes. It's my thoughts. It's not just money. Bribes doesn't just come through money. The government puts pressure on, on people not to speak up against them. The company put pressure on people not to disrupt company policy. Churches put pressure on people sometimes not to, not to speak up against 
church direction or church leadership. And so in every society, dads, moms put pressure on their children to conform. In every society, we're doing it. It's interesting to me that even in China now, um, that a couple of days ago, I read this on Axios News, I think, people in furrow banners on the interstate, you know, they drop it at the risk of their life, saying that we basically saying we want to live in a free society. Because Zing, the, the, the leader, just appointed himself basically dictator for life. Happened this past week or yesterday. And so people are protesting. They're protesting in Iran. At, not Iran, that's where I came from, but Iran. They may be in Iran too, but uh, Iran. They're protesting, these women are, at the risk of their lives because they want freedom. And, and the government oppresses them. And uh, it's happened to us. There's conservative views that are not allowed on some of our social platforms. And probably, if those social platforms are controlled by uh, people who are very, very conservative at some point in time, there may be liberal views who are not allowed on those social platforms as well. So we do that. We, we have a tendency to do that. But the Bible's saying, you can't do that. You can't honor God and do that. You, you, in your valley, you've got to be aware that there is the glory of God, and I'm accountable to God. Not to you, but I'm accountable to God. And so, um, we're, we're not to be oppressed. I think it's happening in Russia today, Iran, North Korea, China. Um, it, it's happening maybe where we live as well, to some degree. And then he talks about, in, in this area, you cannot oppress someone because they're a stranger to you over someone you know. And we would be very easy for us to do that as well. So why would we, in dealing with the government, dealing with um, what categories did I give you, the church, dealing with our company, why would we be oppressed and not and, and, and feel like it's taking a bribe? Because taking a bribe means, means I want to keep my job. I want to remain a member of the church. I, I don't want to go to jail if the government arrests me for protesting. So that's a bribe. It means that we're, we're sacrificing um, our honor. We're sacrificing our relationship with dignity before God because we have some material benefit. Okay, that's the same as somebody handing you money. It's, it's the same principle. So then there's regulations on the land and on work. Uh, chapter 23, verse 10. Read that with me if you would. Six years you shall sow your land, gather its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest, lie fallow, that the poor your people may eat. What they, and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do with your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the names of other gods, or let it be heard from your mouth. So God is establishing the six-day work week and and the Sabbath rest, and, and the years, six years, you plow, you sow, the seventh, you take off. Uh, you let the land lay fallow. And when you go, when you, when you go into further in, in the scripture, you're going to find 
that the nation of Israel did not do that. When they went into the land, they did not do that. And I'm trying to remember, I didn't put it in the notes. I mentioned it to you a couple of weeks ago. But the Bible actually tells us that the nation of Israel went into bondage in Babylon for 70 years, making up for the seventh years. For, for 490 years, they didn't observe this seventh year of letting the land lay fallow. And God made them make up for it. When I first got saved, um, I was not in this church, but I first got saved, one of the people I respected as a Sunday school teacher said that if you don't give your tithe, God will make your water pump go out on the way home. He'll, he'll take it from you. And I don't, want you, I don't want you to hear me saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that because God required of Israel those seventh years uh, for 490 years, which equals 70 years of captivity. I'm not saying God does that to us. We, we live under the covenant of grace, okay? We, we don't live, under, we're not Israelites. We don't live in Israel. We don't live in a theocracy. <clears throat> we live in the covenant of grace, okay? God intended for them to prosper. He, he intended for them to trust in him. Remember the manna? It just appeared, but you couldn't get two days' worth except on Friday. You could get two days' worth, and on Saturday morning, it would still be fresh. You do that on Tuesday, and it's going to be rotten the next day. But God's saying, I'm your provider. I want you to recognize, I'm your provider. If, if you're a farmer, and we do have some who attend our class. I don't know if you're here this morning, but if you're a farmer, and you go, you know, you plant that crop for six years, and on the seventh year, you just tell your wife, I'm not working this year. And she'll say, the kids still got to go to school. You still got to pay the bills. You know, what's going on? You say, well, I'm going to just trust God, you know, but, but people who farm commercially, they do let land lay fallow, or they plant a crop that they're not going to harvest, and they plow under, and if you're lucky, the government will pay you for that, so, <clears throat> but if you do, so if you do those things, you know, the land produces more, and that's the principle. The principle is live, but not selfishly, live, but not to get all you can get, but, but live trusting so. Anyway, enough about that. It's good farming. It's good uh, practical purposes. And then he gives, in verse 14 through 17, regulation for national feasts. So the three national feast days, we're not going to cover them this morning um, because our, our plan through Exodus is just to look at the nation of Israel in relationship as examples to us. And the feasts really don't have to do with that. He gives some regulations for governing offerings. And now let me end again this morning with what I read at the beginning, what David Paulson said. Listen to it. God made it clear that all the details of life are related to a covenant with his glory. There is a mountaintop and a valley bottom, and you can see the sapphire pavement of God's glory, but you have to work it out with your neighbor and your animals and your cars and your houses and your relationships and your property And the glory of God is somehow related to all that in your life. It is what is called in the New Testament, working out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you. And from these two facts emerge. And from this, two facts emerge. Number one, God is a God of justice. He's absolutely fair to everyone, and he wants us to be. He wants us to be absolutely fair to everyone. Number two, he's a God of mercy. He knows we're sinners, and so he gives a sacrificial system to Israel, 
and he gives grace to us and forgiveness to us in Christ. So there is forgiveness for when we fail. What we need to do is we need to think about our lives and say, am I, I have a holy God. Am I living in relationship to his holiness? Is my life pleasing to him? Am I, and you, and you can put in the adjective, am I kind, am I generous, am I, am I faithful, am I loving, am I gracious? You know, you can put all the fruits of the Spirit in there. And, and do, I, do I do that in my dealings with people and my animals and my equipment and, and my influence? Is that how I'm living? See, that's the lesson for us. Is that how I'm living? And God, our, our reflection of God's glory has to do with all those things. Has to, has to do with every issue of our life. That's what we learn when we read about these laws. It's not just that I have to check it off, but I have to check my heart off. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you as we uh, bow before you this morning that you have loved us and that, Lord, we live under the grace of Christ given to us by him going to the cross. And Lord, we don't live by a set of laws, but you've given us principles to help us understand how we should live and treat each other and uh, Lord, treat the world around us and how we should relate to it with fairness and equity. And and Lord, uh, please help us. Uh, We don't do this naturally. Uh, Lord, it's not our inclination. We are sinners. We're selfish. So, Lord, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to be at work in us. We need your word to guide us. And, uh, Father, we need to be repentant before you when we fail. And so please help us to be aware and live with an awareness of every person and every issue that comes before us that, Lord, we're reflecting your glory or we're diminishing your glory one or the other, and let us be holy unto you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.